Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Friday Reporter Podcast. It's a podcast where me, Lisa, the host, interviews journalists and the journalism adjacent about their work. The Friday Reporter Podcast is in partnership with PR Daily. And if you don't know about PR Daily, it is a tremendous uh, resource for communicators like myself and you and and the folks you work with. Uh, PR Daily actually just launched what's called the PR Daily Leadership Network. It's a peer-to-peer brainstorming and networking opportunity for mid-level communicators, uh, access to uh, measurement of SEO, uh, business fluency, presentation training, lots of other opportunities there at prdaily.com. If you're interested in the PR Daily Leadership Network, be sure to mention that you heard about it on the Friday Reporter Podcast to receive $500 off of your membership. Well, hello, and thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Friday Reporter Podcast. This week, I am joined by Carrie Flynn, who is Axios Pro Media Deals Reporter, and I am super excited to pick her brain about all the things that are happening because the media space is just crazy right now. Thank you, Carrie, so much for being with me today. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. And I think crazy is a good word here, but it, I would say it's always a little bit crazy. It's a big reason why I like my job. Yeah. It keeps me busy. Well, um, okay. So before you got into this part of the biz, talk to me a little bit about how you got started. How did talk, talk to me about your, about your own career path. Yeah, it's a little meta by the fact that I am a journalist and I cover media, right? So I cover the Right. Well, we're going to get into in. that because I want to know. <laughs> But I, I really think it, truth be told, it's like, I guess hindsight 2020, I'm not surprised. I've always loved the industry. It's a big reason that I wanted to be a part of it. So mm-hmm. the fact I get to cover it makes a lot of sense. I, I guess it, it, it doesn't go back to when I was like a very tiny child, but I remember I wanted to be a journalist since I was in middle school. And I really like started to like think more about like my future career. And I ended up working then at my high school paper. And not only that, I worked for my local newspaper, like my, my paper covered two towns. And I helped, I was like the high school correspondent. So I was writing, I remember one of my favorite stories was writing about the premiere of the latest Twilight movie and essentially interviewing high schoolers about how important it was. So I essentially just aged myself in <laughs> revealing that that was, came out when I was in high school. And so fast forward, I've worked at a lot of media companies. I, in college, I uh, covered, I was part of the paper too. I didn't study journalism because my college didn't have that, mm. but I always knew I wanted to pursue it. So when I graduated, I achieved my dream of moving to New York City and working as a reporter. And that was 2014. And I've been here ever since. Nice. So where did you start? Where were you? What was your first job? My first job out of college was I was an intern at Forbes. Oh, okay. Which was great. I, back then, I I didn't know exactly what I wanted to cover. Like I said, I just wanted to like be a reporter and I worked at my local newspaper, right? So a little part of me was like, maybe I should be a Metro reporter in college though. I studied environmental science. So I was like, maybe I should be an environmental reporter covering climate change, which I think is the biggest issue of our time. But somehow I fell into business journalism Mm. and specifically what attracted me to Forbes is I think some of the best stories are told through the people, the people in power, right? And I think Forbes was known for that and and continues to be known for such great profiles and just emphasizing not only follow the money, but follow the people with money. Yeah. Uh, So long story short, I was only an intern there and I ended up leaving, uh, you know, didn't 
I was told by other people I work with to not stick around. And the reason that was is because they just got bought. So it was like one of my first like introductions into how, like you said at the top, how quote unquote crazy, how unstable this industry is. Yeah. Because I was a 20 year, 21 year old intern working with people who had spent their whole careers at Forbes who are telling oh, me, wow. don't stay here because mm. we don't know what's going to happen now that we have a new owner. And yeah, I mean, obviously a lot has changed for that, that company. No doubt. And I, I now, yeah, I now since then I've, I've worked at many a media companies that have all gone through their different changes. And I think that helps me do my job better because I have a lot of firsthand experience in the unstable environment of the industry. Uh, okay, so I want to get into that in a second, because I really do want to know what it's like to cover the media as a member of the media. But I want you to talk to me first about what you're reporting on daily, because every day is it's 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 not just the CNNs of the world. It's, it's also the Netflix. It's the Twitter. It's a, because all of those platforms really are content generators. Um, talk to me a little bit about your beat specifically. Like when you wake up in the morning, what are you looking for uh, in terms of, you know, what are you going to cover next? I think you're definitely defining the space well. And the fact that media is this really catch all phrase, another term that I guess you could use to describe my job as a content reporter, right? That sounds yeah. really strange, but I, or you could say an attention reporter. A lot of my job is just paying attention mm -hmm. to where people are spending their time. Mm -hmm. And so truth be told, before I was covering media, I actually specialized in social media. Okay. And a reason why that is that's obviously was one of the biggest things impacting the traditional media industry was where people spend their time. So it's still, when it comes to my beat, I, I covered those social media platforms. I cover the traditional companies, like you said, CNN, though I do have to disclose that I used to work there. Mm -hmm. uh, I cover the local newspapers that I used to work for, the you know rise and fall of that industry. I also cover advertising, okay. you know, the oh, yeah. money behind it all and mm -hmm. ad companies. A big trend that I you know have been covering and my team has been covering and just the consolidation within ad tech and also the privacy implications now as we perhaps we'll enter this cookie-less future where companies will not be able to as easily track us on the internet. Mm. We'll see about that. And, but I mean, I'm covering companies this morning. I wrote about the Simon & Schuster, the book publishing company, right. not uh, a judge ruled yesterday that Penguin Random House, uh, the number one, the biggest book publishing company, cannot acquire it due to antitrust concerns. So that's one thing too, like I cover books, right? That's a, a, a perhaps older medium where people spend their time versus Netflix or TikTok. But the lines so are- So there's a lot to cover day The to lines day. are really blurry, really yeah. Very blurry, lot, lot going on. Uh, you know, there are people in other- uh, you know, kind of my peers in the industry covering media who focus on singular sectors within what I just said, you know, there, there are Netflix reporters out there, there's book publishing reporters. What me and my team try to do is, is try to cover it all as best as we can. And are you so because Axios has so many different platforms, tell me a little bit. So are you on the newsletter side as well as on the content side? How does how does that look for you? Because I know there's a lot of different features and a lot of different ways you guys are getting the news out. The answer is both. I was hired as part of an expansion of the business of Axios. It's called Axios Pro, mm -hmm. and it was their first subscription offering. So now there's a larger team. I know you had a great conversation with the head of that section, George Moriarty. He's my lovely editor. I'm not just saying that because maybe he'll listen to that. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, 
Uh, so within that team, we all have newsletters that are dedicated to specific verticals. Right. And so I cover media along with my colleague, Tim Basinger. There's also health tech and mm-hmm. there's retail and we're, we're growing. Hopefully there'll be even more newsletters soon. So we have a daily newsletter that comes out daily as in weekday, Monday, right. Tuesday. Right. Uh, and then also though, I am, am on and I write for the site and I help our national reporters, the general team. So last night, as I just mentioned, that news broke about Simon and Schuster and I happened to be online and I was helping out with that. Right. And that's, so that's not necessarily writing a story for the, my subscription audience and our loyal readers there. Those are more deal makers, practitioners, really people who are willing to give us money to help them get ahead in of the course. industry. Yeah. We think that, you know, that deal was one of those things where it's it has repercussions to the industry at large and it's important that everyone knows that happens. Uh, so it's one thing that I love about my job is I get to like write for multiple audiences and in multiple ways through the newsletter format or a traditional online news story. I love that. And I think that what I read when I read the coverage that you guys are are putting out there it's really relevant because you'll see it replicated over time or you'll see it as uh, maybe the start of a trend or the way a trend potentially could unfold, right? And so I'm curious because you are so close to that information, like what kinds of things are you seeing? Are there are there trends that you're following that are, are unfolding in a way that you think could potentially lead to something bigger? Um, and the answer can be maybe not yet. Um, but it does feel like there are a lot of deals and there are a lot of, I think specifically about streaming, but maybe that's not something you're caring a lot about. But there has been sort of an ebb and a flow in terms of availability and then consolidation and even sort of the the elimination of some of these streaming services. So I'm curious, what kinds of trends are you carrying, like seeing or caring about more these days? I'm glad you say that we're following the trends because that's true. I think one of my favorite phrases we use at Axios is called the big picture. Mm. A lot of times in stories, we don't just say what the news is that happened, but we put it in this larger context. So not only is it my job behind the scenes to follow the trends, but we kind of put it out there for the reader to make sure they know. And so one of those, I'm sorry, I keep saying this deal that happened last night about Simon & Schuster, but I, I think it was a good point to keep in mind of the fact that like we talked about, there's a lot of deal making going on, but there's the hesitation that there could be some more hesitation and actually pause on the level of deal making because this was a federal judge ruling against a big merger happening that mm. I remember at the time when it was announced now two years ago, sure, there was some talk that it could be blocked, but I think most people thought that was going to happen. Right. And now to another big company that we cover because it counts as media, it's Meta, formerly called Facebook. Right. They've also now gotten under scrutiny for certain acquisitions. So there's a pause there about what they could buy. Specifically, it's a a VR startup, which is fascinating because they bet a lot of their future on the VR and the metaverse. So if they can't buy a studio that would help them do that, that's a little eyebrow raising. Yeah. And so in addition to that, you know, the what's happening in D.C. and then the courts blocking those consolidation, other deal making, there's also just the market right now. So a lot of what me and my colleagues are covering is the fact that it's an interesting time. I was talking to the chief revenue officer of Vox Media, and he was saying it's it's hard because you want, he defines Vox as a really acquisitive company. They've made a lot of deals last year. They haven't really this year. And I think part of that is 
because it's hard because while they may be financially sound themselves, they're hesitant on what's going to happen next. And you don't know if what you're buying, you're really getting the best, best price for it. Mm -hmm. So I feel like a lot of things are happening perhaps a little slowly and a little more unpredictable than it used to be, which, so that's kind of the overall trend that I'm covering is that, that hesitation and concern. Uh, and at the same time, like I said, there are some people who think it's the right time to buy and the right time to do something big because winners arguably can come through when they make big changes during a time when other people are less Sure. Maybe it's so, your approach to the marketplace, right? To the, to, to the stock market. I mean, some people say buy when things yeah. are slow, buy when things are, anyway, everyone has a point of yeah. view, but I think yeah, you can really look at that on a personal level too. <laughs> like not, totally. Not, not only these big businesses making big decisions, but also that. And I think we, when it comes down to the economy as well, you mentioned streaming, there's a lot of that hesitation, like we're talking about when it comes to the consumer, right? All these companies push to streaming, all of them, and not just streaming, not just the streaming companies that are asking for your money. There's also the traditional media companies that are focused more on subscription. And when you're in a market where consumers, the average consumer is thinking more about their wallet and you bet your business on asking people for money, it makes it really hard, right? You got to prove Absolutely. that your service is really worth it. And that's what we're seeing what's happening with Netflix right now. Do you think, um, I'm curious about your point of view on this because, all right, let me get back to my original question. How is it? to cover, I think you're a little bit probably in a better place. Tell me if I'm wrong. Because you're covering the deals and not necessarily the personalities. So you're a media reporter covering the media, but you're covering the deals. Is it a little easier that way than it is to, because there are some journalists that are like literally covering, covering like moving and shaking the actual personalities. That to me feels like that's a little scary. That's like that's like uh, police officers arresting other police officers to me, right? Um, but talk yeah. to me a little bit about what it's like to be a journalist who covers the media space. It is hard in terms of the fact that you're writing about your peers day to day. Mm -hmm. And so I think it all beats you try not to make enemies, right? But it's, yeah. it's especially hard. And I guess it's not about making enemies. It's always about like, you know, reporting fairly and accurately. Mm -hmm. uh, truth be told, like I, before I joined Axios, I wasn't focused on covering deals. I was more focused on the culture of media uh -huh. and media personalities. And I've written stories about people who are now my colleagues, uh, stories that are perhaps not the most positive. I see. Uh, a lot of to what I'm covering now, I, I don't cover as much CNN, uh, you know, drama because of my personal connection to it. Yeah. But at the same time, my company is and I still know a lot about it. And it's, it's hard to write about that. Uh, because I, especially when it comes to layoffs or, or firings or anything like that, yeah. it's, the worst thing to like send a text message to perhaps someone you personally know, or at least, you know, you feel you can really empathize with because you work in the industry. So, so yeah, it is hard. I mean, my beat is definitely not as painful to cover as many out there, but I will say that during the pandemic, it really took a toll on me because I was writing so much about the collapse of the industry, layoffs after layoffs. And yeah. it was hard because I was like, well, I have a job, like, you know, like right. I'm calling these people who just got laid off and right. you feel like it's kind of like a, a Hunger Games, Katniss Everdeen situation. It's like, why am I still here if this whole industry is uh, collapsing in front of my eyes? So, right. so yeah, it's it's hard to cover media. Um, perhaps it is a little bit easier now that I'm less into the culture wars. But those are some of my favorite stories to read. So I was going <laughs> to say, like it is a out of that conversation. It is a little bit of a um, an insider 
uh, read too for folks like us who really are paying very close attention to that. Do you think though okay. that the the buying and the selling and the acquisition and even the sort of the ebb and the flow in the way that journalism is is it making is it making journalism better? Is it making it more challenging? Like how do you are how are people feeling about all of the agitation that's going on in the business in terms of the quality of work that's being produced? I, it's really hard. I, I mean, like I said earlier, like I've worked at companies that, you know, had new owners and then there's a fear that, well, the old Forbes is dead. Like, you know, like what, what right. happened is no more. Uh, another company I used to work for is Mashable. And mm-hmm. I came in after the fact that they had massive layoffs. Uh, and so I was, I guess, part of this like new Mashable, but at the same time, while I was there, it went through many iterations. Yeah. So it is, it really does take an effect on the industry and, and really change things when you, when I, so back to like my beat now, I obviously write about like new owners and acquisitions. I remember, and I guess this is when I was at CNN, but I remember when Vox Media merged with New York Magazine, also when Vox Media moved, merged with Group 9, the first thought is always layoffs. Like, you know, yeah. like how how will this affect the people who work there mm-hmm. and how will it affect the brands? You know, will any of the brands under it fold? And so that obviously affects the people who work there, but it also affects the readers, right? I get really it sad does. when my favorite, um, you know, websites close or I get sad back to where I used to work Mashable, you know, it's a lot smaller than it used to be. And you see those changes. So it's not only, you know, affects the journalism, uh, the, the working life of a journalist, but it does affect the journalism. Mm-hmm. I think the hardest part too is that there really is a disconnect between the business and the producers, like the people that are really out there looking for the stories, trying to do the best work. I try to, I always, I'm a glass half full kind of girl anyway, but I like to think that those kinds of challenges make us all better, right? Just like, all right, here's a new challenge. Let's figure it out, right? And so I've talked to journalists who have left sort of traditional media and gone into a subscription base or gone into a nonprofit um journalism model and and they're loving it they're figuring it out right they're doing something different um but it isn't without its challenges and it's not without um challenge i mean part of the reason why carrie i started the podcast because i felt like the journalism space was really getting challenged by government um in terms of like you know mouthpieces i'm not going to go into who but you know who um saying things that were i think harder on the work and making it more difficult to tell the story and to really get into the the meat of the issue so it's to me it's it's definitely um it's not without its challenges, but it's one that I think is really super necessary. So that's why um, I'm super glad to have um, this conversation with you today. So tell me, okay, so outside of the book deal and outside of the Simon and Schuster stuff, um, is there any other story that stands out as something that you're especially proud of that you've covered in the past? I wouldn't say I'm like proud of covering the Simon Schuster deal. It's not like I was like in the no, 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 but one one like, that's really oh, fresh, that like fresh yeah, in your one, mind one, one, or new or. Uh, I think. You know, the truth be told of a fresh like story that I'm following is a lot of I was just talking about this with uh, my lovely colleague, Sarah Fisher, a lot of the current state of digital media. I kind of talked about the fact that I've worked in, you know, a lot of different digital media companies. I currently now you could say I work for a digital media company. And I mentioned that I spoke with the CRO of Vox recently. There's a lot of change happening in that industry. You know, before when I graduated college, this was 2014, uh, it was interesting time of digital media in the fact that there were all these big new-ish, like I guess the early 2010s, there were these new 
giant like websites that were taking on some of the establishment media brands. So when I graduated, you know, it wasn't necessarily, oh, I obviously want to work for the New York Times, or the Wall Street Journal, or the Washington Post, these big brands, or CNN, obviously, where I ended up working. Um, you know, eventually, I ended up working for Bashable, which is like a great place to work for. And, you know, BuzzFeed is another big name of this, like, massive company that really created new opportunities. Oh, my for, gosh, so much. You know, journalists mm-hmm. and new job opportunities. And also, obviously, like, made the other media, I think, made the media industry better at large, because it made all of those traditional media players that I just spoke of really wake up to the power of, you know, the internet and producing journalism online and writing for people who read journalism online. So long story short, and I guess it speaks a lot to the fact that I'm now really much within this world. I write for a company that, again, if you had asked me where I wanted to work when I graduated, I couldn't have even said Axios because it didn't even exist. So I think, long story short, to answer your question, is that I am particularly fascinated with the state of digital media Mm -hmm. and how it is now in this really stage of um, maturity. And so BuzzFeed, which I mentioned, ended up going public uh, because they essentially needed to, they needed to pay back all those venture capitalists that gave them money. And they thought this was the best way to, you know, move forward uh, and become a stronger company at the Mm -hmm. time. And they've had a rough time in the stock market. I I haven't checked up today, but it's not good. Uh, (laughs) And so the question is, what's next for them to our earlier conversation of the market's not good for them. They used to be, you know, when they went public, they merged with complex uh, networks, which is another massive media company. The thought was they would buy more, right? You know, like right. further consolidate the space and, and continue to grow. Uh, but they haven't. Yeah. The same thing could be said for Vox Media. They were very acquisitive last year. They haven't made many moves. So what I'm saying is this is the I want to say there's one story that I've covered that I'm I guess proud that I would say go read this right now. But I'm saying to your point earlier, keeping tabs on trends in our newsletter, we're for sure watching all those companies because I think it is really an important time for Again, those 2010s companies that are we're now in 2020 and they need to figure figure out what to do next. Absolutely. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when the guys who started Axios started Politico. So I've I've been at this for a while watching, just like you said. I mean, when I was uh, I was a kid in New Jersey, just getting started in my career, uh, politics NJ was not a thing that anybody knew about. And now, of course, mm-hmm. Steve Kornacki is a household name. So there are like yeah. lots of things that happen in this space that evolves and changes. Um, and I, I'm with you. I think that it's just the beginning, right? I think things are going to continue to evolve and change. And that's so interesting to me. Yeah, I get really excited when new media companies launch. I think like everyone does in the industry. So Semaphore from Ben Smith and Justin Smith just launched. Uh, I personally, I hate the website aesthetic, but the journalism seems good so far. So, you know, I'm still yeah. reading. One of my favorite company, like media companies uh, that I am spending so much of my time and attention with is Puck News. I think they're doing amazing work. So again, it gives me faith. Like we talked about, this industry is crazy and there's been a lot of bad news within media, but at the same time, uh, there's all this opportunity and, and still good journalism being done that makes my job Fun. Yeah. Oh, no, no question about it. And I totally agree. And there are there are others that are coming too. I mean, Reed Wilson just launched his new uh, Pluribus News just launched. There's so many other. Yeah. And to me, I think that that speaks more to um, maybe the niche too, right? Like I think the one trend that, you know, just being a PR person, because I spend a lot of time trying to parse out the stories that I'm trying to pitch, who is it that will care about this? And I, you've, you've got to be a lot more deliberate about who you connect with even more so now than ever before, because it's not just about beats, it's about actual 
uh, news outlets, places that people are caring about different specific things. So when you're not caring about the media and you're not paying attention to the media, what is keeping you busy like on the weekends, Carrie? Like what's what's going on? Like what outside of this? What's what are, are you streaming something interesting? Are you reading anything cool? Like tell tell me in the audience, like what's going on in, uh, in Carrie's life? Well, perhaps the sad thing is I feel like whenever I stream something or I read, I'm also doing my job because as a media reporter, <laughs> it's like what I read is important or what I stream. Like, I feel like you can't write about Netflix without consuming content on Netflix. That's I tell that to my boss. I'm like, sorry, I must watch the latest show. Uh, I must spend hours on Disney Plus every day. Yeah. Uh, but no, I love it. It's part of, again, it's part of the reason that I, I love my job is I actually am a huge media consumer. Uh, I will say one thing that uh kept me busy but no longer is anymore is I got married I got engaged two years ago I got married Congratulations. a lot of my last year was wedding planning yeah so that's now off my chest so that like no longer takes up my time uh, another thing that I really enjoy doing when I'm not actually on my laptop or on the call on um, the phone reporting is I'm really into fitness I'm a huge runner I'm actually running a half marathon or a 10k and a half marathon this weekend oh nice uh though I guess you could say I it's still kind of media because I'm a huge user of Peloton, uh-huh. both like the app and the bike. Mm-hmm. And I wish I had the treadmill, but I don't. I still use my phone for that. And so you could say I think Peloton's a media company. Uh, they I produce it, a lot definitely. of media and a content. lot of content. Yep. Yeah. And I consume that content. So even my like personal joy, the thing I'm not doing when I'm doing my job is actually doing my job. So I love it. uh, But I love it. So I don't not complaining. I love it. That's awesome. Um, Oh, I just and it's totally true. I mean, you're in the content space. Like, where is content going? Where is it moving? Who's doing what? I absolutely. And we're all consumers of it. So how fun for you that you can also make it part of your uh, your part of your career as well. Yeah, I mean, where people spending their time and money is a lot of my job, right? And Mm -hmm. I pay X amount of money a month for Peloton. And, you know, and I stare at that screen every day. So that's, that's my media consumption. Absolutely. Um, All right. So as we get to the end of our conversation, which we were supposed to be together in New York, and so hopefully we will be together in New York for another panel because we couldn't make where we're going to be this week uh, for the PR because the PR daily, they will PR daily would do another panel. So we'll hit them up and we'll make sure that we see them for the next one. Um, Tell me who is it that I should talk to next for an episode of the podcast? I'm going to give you three options. I'm sorry, but as we talked about, I cover media, so I'm pretty like well-connected. I and I feel love like I, the could, list. I could give you all the suggestions. Mm-hmm. I would say the first is you should talk to my colleague, Sarah Fisher. You told me you're from New Jersey. She's from New Jersey. So I feel like you could just do a whole episode dedicated to <laughs> New Jersey media. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, I'll say my favorite website i i mentioned vox media you know i I just because i just was speaking to them and i think they're at an interesting time in their history uh but when it comes to me my own media consumption i love the goods by vox it's one section of the uh vox.com that is like dedicated to kind of like consumerism oh cool uh they just do some of the best coverage i don't have a personal relationship with anyone who really works there but i read everything they write and i think it is so smart 
just like literally I, I opened up the page like this morning and one story is how airlines squeeze you for every penny. So not only is it about like consumerism, they just do such smart, like in-depth takes of like and answering that. questions that we all have. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> the third one I'll say is I mentioned earlier is Puck News, which is one of those, you know, up and coming media startups that I'm keeping my eyes on. And I think they're doing amazing work. I will specifically say Matt uh, Bellany, he covers media for the Bergs, particularly like Hollywood. He used to be the editor of the Hollywood Reporter. I think his expertise in the state of Hollywood, just because he, he's a lawyer too. So he just like has oh, cool. like such good knowledge in terms of how the industry actually works. I love that. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's my three for Those you. Those are all fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much for all of that. I, um, I'm going to look forward to continuing to have a conversation because I feel like we have a lot more to talk about. There's just so much happening in your beat and in your space. And I am trying to keep a close eye and close tabs on that. So let's put a pin in this, Carrie. Let's definitely continue to have this conversation. And let's, um, let's talk again soon. I would love that. Come visit me in New York and we'll hang out. Awesome. I love it. Thank you again for being with me. And that's today's Friday Reporter Podcast a podcast in partnership with PR Daily, a tremendous and helpful guide for all things public relations. Find us there on their website and join us again for another episode soon. Thanks so much. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects.